A well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you're with me on the program today. We are um, watching what's going on in Perry, Iowa, where a uh, reports of an active shooter situation at Perry High School have been announced. We don't have a lot of details as of the time of uh, me taping today's show, so we won't be spending a lot of time talking about that. Uh, what All we know at this point is what the uh, sheriff in Dallas County released about 11 o'clock Eastern, and that is that there were multiple injuries. Uh, he did not speak of any fatalities, uh, said that the threat is over, but we don't know anything about the suspect, whether they were in custody, whether they were shot and killed. Uh, we know that the uh, reports of shots fired came in about 737 local time there in Perry, Iowa, and the uh, sheriff said that the first officer Responding to the scene uh, was there on campus about seven minutes after that uh, first reports of shots fired were uh, were uh, notified or, or law enforcement was notified to those reports of shots fired. So we'll be keeping an eye on things and uh, updating folks at BarryAndArms.com as more information becomes available. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about what is going on in Illinois, where the deadline to register prohibited so-called assault weapons and large capacity magazines has come and gone with apparently very little compliance on the part of Illinois gun owners. Uh, Brendan Moore, who was a columnist at the Pantograph uh, newspaper in Illinois, says that uh, though compliance jumped significantly in the final days before the registration deadline, just 29,357 Illinois gun owners filed endorsement affidavits disclosing 68,992 so-called assault weapons, 42,830 banned accessories, and 528 stocks of ammunition, according to the Illinois State Police. Now, those banned accessories would include magazines that are capable of holding more than 10 rounds. So while the uh, number of prohibited firearms, uh, probably far lower than the number of active firearm owner identification card holders in the state of Illinois, my guess is the vast majority of those FOID card holders do possess a magazine that is banned under the uh, Protect Illinois Communities Act. So compliance does appear to be uh, very low, about 1.2% of all FOID card holders. Now, again, that doesn't mean that every FOID card holder was subject to these registration requirements, but um, I I think it's fair to say that more than 1.2% of Illinois gun owners were subject to these mandates uh, and declined to comply. Uh, Among those, uh, Darren Bailey, uh, he, of course, uh, was running for governor in uh, Illinois, uh, state lawmaker. And uh, he said before uh, the registration deadline went into effect that he would not be complying. He uh, reiterated that on New Year's Eve on social media, posting a picture with his uh, now banned firearms, saying, I'll be here putting together the puzzle, waiting for Pritzker to knock on my door and take my guns. I will not comply. Um, now, As uh, the columnist for the Pantograph, uh, Brendan Moore, pointed out, Governor Pritzker is not going to be the one going and rounding up these uh, now-banned firearms. Uh, No, that would be up to the state's attorney uh, and local law enforcement in these communities. Uh, Illinois State Police spokesperson uh, Melanie Arnold says violations of the Protect Illinois Communities Act will be treated like any other violation of the Illinois Criminal Code. As with any violation of law, decisions regarding whether to approve search warrants and or issue charges will be made by the various state's attorneys throughout Illinois with penalties determined in a circuit court. You've had a number of county sheriffs across the state of Illinois say that they do not plan on enforcing this law 
Um, you've got some sheriffs saying, listen, if we, you know, come across somebody possessing a now banned magazine or a now banned firearm in the course of a criminal investigation, uh, we might tack on those charges, but we're not going to be going after gun owners specifically for uh, simply possessing these banned items. You've had some state attorneys saying that they will not be prosecuting individuals if cases are brought to them as well. And you've got U.S. District Court Judge Stephen McGlynn, who declined to issue an injunction uh, against the registration mandate shortly before that mandate took effect. But he did note that at the time, uh, there were only about 15,000 individuals who had uh, registered either firearms or accessories with the Illinois State Police. And he noted that um, massive noncompliance may very well impact his decision going forward on whether or not to grant an injunction. Now, we don't have a a new hearing date for uh, Judge McGlynn to consider uh, any renewed motions to halt enforcement of the registration mandate, but that could be coming uh, within the next well, I would say within the next few days, certainly uh, no more than a week or so, I would expect before uh, attorneys would ask the judge to uh, consider this now that the deadline has passed, now that we have an idea of just how few and far between the uh, registration mandates were followed. Um, but this is a, you know, it's an active situation here in Illinois. A lot of things are still in flux. A lot of gun owners may very well believe, like Darren Bailey, that they don't really run the risk of uh, being arrested. They don't run the risk of being subjected to a misdemeanor, which is the first offense for possessing an unregistered firearm. It's a class three felony on second and subsequent offenses. And I suppose if you had a a zealous prosecutor, right, they could try to uh, charge, let's say you've got, uh, you know, a, a rifle that's now banned. You've got, you know, five or six magazines, maybe more that are banned. I suppose they could try to, uh, you know, file all of those charges separately Uh, get you for, you know, a misdemeanor on one count and then uh, increase that to a felony on other counts. Uh, But uh, so far, we actually haven't seen uh, any news of any arrests, even in the Chicagoland area where you expect enforcement uh, will be uh, pretty intense. So it is unclear how this law is actually going to be enforced uh, across the state, even with it now in effect. Um, The Pantograph columnist that I mentioned, uh, Brendan Moore, a little snarky in his uh, commentary on the uh, new law. He says, though, I'm skeptical that uh, Darren Bailey will be brought up on charges or subject to a search warrant in Clay County for violating the law. He certainly did his darndest to give law enforcement probable cause if they wish to do that. Of course, he writes, the state police and local law enforcement couldn't go knocking on every gun owner's door to check compliance, even if they wanted to. But those who flaunt the assault weapons ban run the risk of trouble with the law. Disagreeing with it doesn't mean that it isn't the law, kind of like a speed limit. You can still get a ticket if caught going 40 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, even if you disagree with the set limit, except the potential consequences for violating the weapons ban, of course, are much more serious than a speeding ticket. Yeah, I would not compare the defiance on the part of Illinois gun owners to individuals who choose to go 50 in a 40 or maybe 45 in a 35. I think the more apt comparison... Uh, would be to those individuals who willfully and knowingly violated the law, let's say, against um, sitting at a lunch counter or maybe uh, holding a public parade without getting a uh, required permit in the uh, town that uh, doesn't want you to protest, right? The sort of civil disobedience that we saw in the 1950s and the 1960s in the Deep South against the Jim Crow regime I think it's a much more apt comparison 
to what we are seeing here in Illinois. Again, the penalties are more severe than a speeding ticket, as Brendan Moore notes, right? We are talking about a misdemeanor offense for those who are caught in possession of a gun or magazine that the state of Illinois has now banned if those uh, items have not been registered with the Illinois State Police. So this is a serious matter. But the fact that you have so many Illinois gunners, again, we don't know how many, but I think it's fair to say out of nearly 2 million FOID card holders, I think a conservative estimate of half of those FOID card holders possessing either a banned magazine or a banned firearm, I, that, 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 that does not ring untrue to me. So at the very least, I think we're talking about tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not maybe a million Illinois gun owners who are choosing, again, to engage in an act of civil disobedience. Now, the reasons may vary. Uh, you may have some gun owners who are perfectly willing to go to jail. Uh, to fight this unjust law. You may have some gun owners who believe that uh, because they live in a county where the county sheriff has said, listen, I'm not planning on enforcing this law, or the state's attorney said, I'm not planning on prosecuting anybody for simply possessing a magazine or a gun that they lawfully owned as of last week, uh, that they feel pretty secure in continuing to uh, own these items without registering them uh, with the state. And you probably have some gun owners who may be concerned about enforcement, but believe ultimately that the judicial system is going to overturn the Illinois law in question and that they will not be subject to criminal penalties or they could raise an issue on appeal if they are arrested. Uh, regardless of the various motivations, uh, one thing is clear that there has been broad and widespread defiance of Governor Pritzker's edict. You know, the governor was asked about this about a well, I guess starting about a couple of months ago. He's been asked several times, uh, you know, what do you think about the, uh, the the small number of people who are registering their banned items? And he said, well, yeah, I, I think as we get closer to the deadline, uh, you're going to see that number really go up. And it did, kind of. Uh, the week before the deadline, there were about 15,000 people who had registered uh, as of January 1st, what, about 28, 29,000. So the numbers did double. The, the, the governor was right, I suppose, in that respect, that uh, we did see more Illinois residents uh, comply with the law, but uh, the governor made it sound like the vast majority of Illinois gun owners would do so, and that does not appear to be the case in the land of Lincoln. So now, again, all eyes are on the courts. Uh, the legislature is not going to be any help in Illinois, unfortunately. They're not going to undo this unconstitutional measure. Uh, so now the ball is in Judge Stephen McGlynn's court. Um, and it's going to be up to the judge to decide whether or not to, again, grant that injunction going forward. Uh, he refused that request, but he uh, dismissed it without prejudice, so that request can be refiled. And again, he noted that depending on the uh, amount of compliance that we saw, uh, that may very well impact his decision on whether to grant injunction going forward. I would, uh, I, I hate to assume too much here, but given that Judge McGlynn has previously granted an injunction, that was stayed by the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, it seems pretty clear to me that Judge McGlynn has grave constitutional concerns about the Protect Illinois Communities Act, and that if, again, there has been a uh, widespread lack of compliance, that that might, in fact, I would say probably, would um, weigh in gun owners' favor when the judge considers a, a new request for an injunction. But we will keep our eyes on what's going on there in Illinois. And again, the larger lawsuit still continues. This is all still very in the early stages. Uh, so we have not had a trial on the merits. 
of the uh, uh, Protect Illinois Communities Act. Um, that will hopefully come at some point this year. And then that'll get kicked up to the uh, Seventh Circuit. And then that could get cooked up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has rejected a couple of emergency requests to intervene. Um, so maybe this case will uh, get to the Supreme Court in regular order. Uh, although I suspect uh, it might be 2025 before that is the case. So if Illinois gun owners are looking for that judicial relief from the Supreme Court, again, the best opportunity for that is probably going to come from Maryland and the Fourth Circuit, where we are awaiting a decision in a case called Bianchi versus Brown, a, a case challenging Maryland's ban on so-called assault weapons. Now, the Fourth Circuit, uh, Supreme Court actually has granted cert in that case. They uh, vacated the lower court decision that upheld Maryland's ban remanded that case back down to the Fourth Circuit for a do-over in light of their findings in Bruin. The oral arguments in Bianchi versus Brown were held in December of 2022. So we are now, uh, as of tomorrow, it'll be, well, as of uh, Saturday, I guess it'll be 13 months since the oral arguments were held in that case. So a decision really could come down at any time. Uh, and as we've discussed uh, with, I think, Mark Walters earlier this week, depending on what the Fourth Circuit decision is, we could see this case go up to the Supreme Court right away. Uh, if, on the other hand, the Fourth Circuit panel says, you know what, this, this uh, ban is unconstitutional, uh, Maryland's Attorney General may very well decide to take this case on banc rather than uh, send it directly to the Supreme Court, where, again, I think a majority of justices would be inclined to uh, view these types of bans as a violation of our Second Amendment rights. It is frustrating all across the country, it is frustrating. You know, you've got gun owners in California who have been able to carry uh, for years in most publicly accessible places whose right to carry has now been gutted. Uh, individuals in California who want to uh, acquire a concealed carry license, unable to do so right now because of the new training mandates uh, and the certifications coming from Cal DOJ. So there are no, well, I should say there are very, very few Certified firearms instructors who are able to teach the mandated concealed carry course in California. It is, it is incredibly frustrating uh, to see the repeated and continued denials of this very basic and fundamental right that's taking place not just in Illinois, not just in California, but in states like New Jersey, New York, Maryland, Hawaii. Oregon, uh, where thankfully Measure 114 is on hold, but, uh, you know, gun control activists are going to be at it again in the legislative session this year. I, 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 I can counsel patience. I can say we have to be patient. doesn't make it any easier to be patient. Uh, but I would note, you know, again, I talked earlier about, uh, I think, the most apt comparison to the civil disobedience we're seeing in Illinois is the civil rights struggle in the 1950s and 1960s in the South. And, you know, that was not an overnight success either. 1954, you had Brown versus Board of Education, which ended segregation in public schools. But it was not until 1965 that the uh, schools in Prince Edward County, Virginia, for example, not far from where I live, were actually desegregated. So for more than a decade, we saw those forces of resistance. Uh, refused to acknowledge what the Supreme Court had said and refused to comply with those orders. We're seeing that very same phenomenon play out when it comes to our right to keep and bear arms across the country today. And as much as I wish that the forces of intolerance would see the light and would abide by the Supreme Court's decision, 
Unfortunately, it is going to take multiple lawsuits across multiple states, many months, and a lot of money before our right to keep and bear arms is finally secure or at least recognized in a lot of these anti-gun locales. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We're going to start there. Now, you know, yesterday's story was from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And a guy who had been um, convicted of driving on a suspended license nine different times hit and killed a Catholic priest who was riding his bike and was sentenced to mostly probation. Uh, 150 days total in jail, which can be served in 30-day increments, right? Well, we've got another case out of the Twin Cities today. Suspect arrested in New Year's Day shooting that injured an 11-year-old Minneapolis girl. They said the man was drinking and fired an AR-15 fireman into the air, striking the girl as she sat in her bedroom. She underwent surgery Wednesday evening. Thankfully, it looks like she is going to be okay. But once again, we've got an individual who is already known to law enforcement. Uh, according to authorities, the uh, suspect uh, who was arrested, a 44-year-old man, whose name has not been identified by the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune, uh, is a convicted felon, barred from carrying a firearm, booked into the Hennepin County Jail on suspicion of first-degree assault. Um, the uh, suspect, according to the Star Tribune, has a, quote, lengthy criminal history between Hennepin, Ramsey, Anoka, and Washington counties. Many cases, they say, stemmed from driving with a suspended license. I had to check and make sure that the ages were different between yesterday's recidivist report and today's recidivist report. And they do appear to be different individuals here. Uh, in 2019, the uh, suspect was convicted of domestic assault by strangulation in Ramsey County, which is a felony offense, precluded him from uh, keeping firearms or ammunition. He served just 12 days behind bars for that crime, for choking his then-girlfriend. He was then placed on probation. But even that probation ended early in 2022, Star Tribune says, due to the pandemic, which at that point had been going on for two years. So I'm not sure I buy that excuse, but that was the excuse that was offered. Later in 2022, he was arrested and convicted again, this time in Anoka County, second degree assault. He reportedly attacked a man who had a, quote, forced sexual encounter with his girlfriend's daughter. In that case, he was jailed for 170 days, placed on supervised probation afterwards, but uh, according to police, has now violated that probation with the uh, early morning shooting. We will keep our eyes on this story, but here again, we've got a case of somebody well-known to law enforcement, somebody who has been told to stay on the straight and narrow, but somebody who has been cut repeated breaks by the criminal justice system, not only in terms of the plea deals that were offered and accepted, but in terms of the consequences that did not come from those plea deals, not even remaining on probation for the entire time. And again, if you commit these violent offenses and nothing really happens to you, should we be surprised when those individuals come to the conclusion that they can break the law with impunity, that there aren't many, if any, legal consequences for their lawlessness. I don't think we can. I think that is a, um, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's the right assumption to make. At least it shouldn't be. But all too often, it does appear to be 
correct. Now, today's Armed Citizen story. From uh, Mississippi, uh, Soho, Mississippi, so so Mississippi, excuse me, where police say a uh, recent mayoral candidate was shot and killed by his brother-in-law in what they are uh, calling a case of likely self-defense. And it sounds like, based on the circumstances, that this was indeed a, a justifiable shooting. Uh, 41-year-old Jason Adam Marshall was shot and killed early Wednesday morning when he arrived at the home that he had shared with his wife for 12 years before they divorced. Um, Marshall reportedly showed up at the home shortly before 4 o'clock in the morning. And his brother-in-law, who lives in the house next door, uh, showed up as well to try to keep him from gaining entrance uh, to the uh, to the home. The brother-in-law, armed with an AR-15, demanded that Marshall leave the residence. Authorities say Marshall did not comply. He uh, reportedly reached for his own firearm, a 9mm handgun, which is when the brother-in-law uh, fired multiple times, striking Marshall. The assistant police chief in Soso, Tyler Hill, told WDAM that both men fired shots during the incident. He said that uh, Marshall's three children, who he shared with his estranged wife, were inside the residence at the time of the shooting. Hill said uh, he was a good man. He was just struggling severely, and unfortunately it appears at this time that he just made a bad mistake. Uh, a judge had granted Marshall's wife an emergency protection order, as well as temporary custody of the children back in October. Marshall had been ordered to undergo a mental health assessment to regain visitation rights to his children, according to the uh, Laurel, Mississippi leader call. Um, I don't know, Mr. Marshall. I, I, I don't know if uh, uh, the uh, police chief or the assistant police chief is right in calling him a good man who is just struggling severely, but uh, it does appear that he's right when he says he made a bad mistake showing up at a place he was not allowed to be, armed, trying to get inside. Uh, and that would, again, appear to uh, make the shooting of uh, Mr. Marshall justified on the part of his brother-in-law. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing able to do the right thing, an unarmed citizen coming to the aid of a crime victim in Florida, a good Samaritan subduing an attacker at a stabbing at a gas station in Palm Springs. The uh, good Samaritan, a uh, 61-year-old man, uh, Lynn Siebert, Siegert, rather, Siegbart, excuse me, uh, who says he really was just in the right place at the right time, he was there at the gas station. He says, I heard this screaming outside for help, so I went out to see what I could do. He was trying to buy a bottle of water on New Year's Day, about 1130 in the morning. When he ran outside, he saw a guy with a knife, identified uh, by authorities as 43-year-old Jose Miranda, stabbing a man who'd been putting gas in his car. Uh, Siegbart says, as they were tussling, they were kind of halfway on the ground, and, and so the first thing I did was I went for the knife. Uh, grabbed the gentleman by the wrist, and then as I got him by the wrist, we fell on top of the person who was stabbed, and then I was able to stretch his arm out just past his head a little bit, and then it was pretty much just struggling to keep the knife from getting swung around. At one point, Siegbart managed to grab a hold of the knife, threw it away from the reach of the assailant. He said uh, it was pretty much just adrenaline. Uh, he said at some point during the uh, fight with the suspect, the suspect bit him on the arm. After that, another uh, customer of the gas station came over and helped to hold the suspect until police showed up. Uh, Seaver was asked, why did you get involved? And he says, seeing a young man about to lose his life. It was something I didn't want to see. Thankfully, the victim is listed as stable at last report in a hospital, so his injury is not expected to be uh, life-threatening. Jose Miranda uh, has been arrested, taken into custody, charged with attempted first-degree murder with a deadly weapon. 
And uh, Lynn Siegebart, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, uh, unharmed in his encounter with the uh, knife-wielding assailant and uh, a hero, is what he said. Uh, local police on the scene called him. He he doesn't really agree with that, but uh, I think that is a fair description. So, Lynn Siegebart, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. We thank you for your very, very good deed. Now, that is about all the time we've got for you on this edition of Barry and Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Looking forward to being back with you again on Monday. But don't forget to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the week uh, and the weekend. We're keeping you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Armed citizen stories, legislative fights, the latest litigation news. There is a lot to talk about. And again, you can find it all at BarryandArms.com. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP or VIP Gold member. Just go to BarryandArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. And you can get a significant savings on your membership. We'll see you back here on Monday. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.